having to overcome that mental hurdle is probably the hardest thing about this on my end as a coach or whatever you want to call mentor, right? It's like not opening your mind to that is probably the biggest mistake you can make. I mean, you're losing out on free money. Miles are money. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time I've got my friend Andy Cantu. Andy is a bit of an enigma, an enigma, even in our world. And by our world, I mean the entrepreneurial, life hacking, efficiency world. And I'll tell you why. Andy flies everywhere almost exclusively first class and for free. Pretty cool, right? I'm, I'm talking, you know, champagne, I'm talking first on and off the plane, I'm talking nice lounges and free haircuts and all of the, the decadence and opulence and those other words that we don't use normally. Andy gets that and he has a method for uh, achieving that for free. Pretty cool. If that's not enough, um, and the teaching of it uh, of it isn't enough. He's also a race car driver, so he likes to live fast. And if it isn't in fact in a luxury surroundings in a plane, it's in some awesome car somewhere in the world. And so Andy's definitely a guy that knows what he likes and guess what he likes. And he's today is going to tell us how we can get <laughs> what he likes and what we like. So without <laughs> further ado, Andy, how are you? Good. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, thank you. Um, Thanks for having was, me. It was a clumsy intro today, and I think I think the uh, <laughs> listeners deserve better, but uh, we're going to persevere anyway. Yeah, it was good. Good. So, whereabouts in the world are you, Andy? I'm in Vegas. Uh, I'm based here most of the time, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yeah. When you're when you're not traveling around, and what, and yeah. what time is it there? It is 11:30 p.m. Sweet. And are you a night owl typically, or are you normally up early? No, I'm a night owl. I just got back from, from the Starbucks at the Bellagio. I was watching the fountains and the music. It was beautiful and having coffee, and now I'm wide awake and ready to go. Brilliant. How very Ocean's Eleven of you. There's a blast <laughs> from the past there for everybody. I so, love Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> so we're having a little chat off air, um, as we do, um, about you know logical starting points so that we can we can capture your story best uh, for the guys and girls listening out in the world. Hey, everybody! And um, we sort of said let's let's just go with it. There's a lot there's a lot to cover, and so um, let's 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 just open up the book, Andy. Are you? Would you say that you're kind of? Um, you've got entrepreneurialism in your blood or was there a time where you sort of made the switch? Like how did, how did your um, interesting life start uh, for you? Yeah. So my dad's actually a businessman. He has been for most of his life. He worked his way up the old fashioned way. Right. I mean, he used to like drive forklifts and load trucks and then he did this whole thing and whatever, learn how to be a businessman. And so from an early age, maybe I was like 12 or 13, he would, Give me these books to read, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, blah, blah, blah. I would play the little cash flow game. I don't know if y'all are familiar. Um, <laughs> and Yeah, and like learned all that stuff from an early age. But I was also really good at computers. And my mom actually was a programmer. Uh, so I had these, and they were divorced, right? So I had these very literally Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like very separate lives being led and I could learn from. And so I actually went the computer route, had a career in IT, 
obviously there's good money in IT, so it was hard for me to leave that, and I just kind of did that for many, many years. Um, it wasn't until I was like 19 years old or something like that that I maxed out both my credit cards, paid some random dude on the internet that put me on a sales call and convinced me, and I learned about solo ads. And you know, internet marketing in general, I got a lot of fundamentals. He taught me copywriting and all this kinds of stuff. And uh, that I think marks like the first actual entrepreneurial venture where I started saying, okay, I can make money for myself and I can do it online and I can do it from home and whatever, right? Nice. Uh, so I would, that's probably the start. Okay, so so you're you're cutting your teeth, you're making your first dollar online, if you like, um, from solo ads. So for for those people who are listening and don't know what solo ads are, um, can you can you can you tell us? Yeah, at a high level, solo ads are basically, or okay, a solo ad seller is someone who has a list of people that they've acquired. However, an email list. I mean, lots of ways to do it nowadays, right? But you have an email list of people normally all in one niche, and the most common niches make money online, MMO. Uh, and basically you send out two emails a day, one email a day, or three emails a day, or whatever, and you sell the clicks re that result from those emails to course owners, ebook owners, stuff that wanna promote their product. They'll pay you 30, 40, 50, sometimes a dollar a click, 30, 40, 50 cents, or a dollar a click, um, and that's it. You send emails, and the more clicks you can get from these emails, the more money you'll make because you're just sending them to different clients that have all kinds of stuff teaching how to make money online. In general, it's pretty scammy because you have to be super clickbaity because literally the more clickbaity you are, the more money you make. You know, uh, so that at a high level, that's what it is. You're just selling clicks off of your email list, off of emails you send. So I mean that's that sounds amazing, and um, anyone that's been around um, the internet for long enough will have seen solo ads groups and all of the hundreds of <laughs> testimonials, the unrealistic number of testimonials that each seller has. So um, why isn't everyone doing this? It sounds amazing. Uh, it's pretty black hat, really. Uh, even like doing it legitimately. I mean, I, I'll give you a story. Like I remember. I back when I wasn't banned as shit from Aweber, right? I am now extremely banned, but <laughs> multiple times over. I, I would get on Aweber and I had VAs working for me, virtual assistants, right? Employees in the Philippines. And literally on like the notes of what they needed to do daily tasks was check if we were banned, check if our domain stats were less, like we were getting less clicks than usual. Every week our domains would get flagged and banned left and right because of how many emails we were sending and how clickbaity the subject lines were and all kinds of stuff. So we literally would buy a bunch of domains and rotate them in, change the from email address, like change the person, fake person who was sending them these emails. I mean, it was super spammy. Like, And we would take the same lists and import them into multiple Awebers operating from VPNs in different parts of the country. And it was just terrible. It's, it's a very hard business to adapt to because you're like always chasing and chasing and chasing and trying not to get banned basically so it's very hard but there's a lot of money to be made um and it's a successful way of marketing courses and ebooks and stuff so people are happy to pay you you just have to stay on top of it it's very tedious and it takes a lot of effort nice and so you um so you paid you maxed out two credit cards paying eight grand to a guy that taught you this world 
um, gave you gave you insight, and you and you started getting into this. And at some point, you decided the time was to move on. Um, can you uh, enlighten us on that sort of thought process, and then what happened next? So I can kind of give you, I can walk you through like that whole process in the middle, right? So I, I paid this guy. He taught me a very legitimate way to build lists, which was to sell a front end product, like a $7 ebook or whatever, and to buy solo ads from other sellers and bring them into your, this $7 product. And basically you would sell this product and you could pay for the solo ads. And so you could do this perpetually and build this big list, right? And so that was very legitimate, but the problem was these $7 or $17 or $27 products we were selling were crap. They're just some random PLR, like private label ebook or whatever that we got. And you had to convince people to buy this fairy dust. So you had to be very, very good at copywriting, at like analyzing your landing pages and funnels and all this shit, right? And so that was the legitimate but very hard way. And I think the turning point for me was when I wasn't, I mean, I was making very little money doing it his way. He had taught me a lot of fundamental skills, landing page design, funnel design, copywriting, business models in general of internet marketers, right? And I met a guy who was very black hat and he was like, dude, no, you should just be buying solo ads and reselling those solo ads multiple times over, like just this whole new concept to me that was way foreign and easier, but so much scammier uh, and spammier. And that was the turning point for me where I said, okay, I'm going to try this. So I tried that for a while. That was the first real money I made in solo ads. And honestly, for me, what turned me off of the solo ads and made me want to move on, you know, and like go to the next venture and, and learn more was after getting banned so many times, I just got tired of it. And I was like, am I bringing value to the world? Like, what am I, you know, what am I doing? I'm just making money transactionally. I'm just like, doing a thing and money comes and I just do another thing and money comes and I just do things and money comes. It wasn't yeah. actually like, uh, there wasn't an, it wasn't an end goal of any, you know, it was, it didn't feel good. And yeah. I just kind of got, I, I got tired of it. And I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do solo ads anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, so sort of sending out lies on mass, like, you know, <laughs> sort of like, I'm sure it creates <laughs> on you after a while. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I had a list of 20,000 people and I took that list, I imported it into four Awebers. I was four different people at once, four different newsletters that I they signed up for, but I just imported them without permission to these other Awebers. And uh, I was sending, I had 80,000 people then, in theory, sending four, eight emails a day, I think. So, I mean, you're talking about like eight times <laughs> 80,000, I don't know, 640,000 emails a day of just, copywriting and clickbait i mean i'm talking about subject lines like urgent your paypal balance is waiting you know what i mean <laughs> like just savage stuff and the whole purpose was for them to click i didn't care who my clients were i didn't care what product they had rarely would i even review what ebook they were i would just like you you're teaching people how to make money online okay whatever it is cool you can pay me and i'll send you clicks like and i would just put a very generic email copy and it worked for everybody and that was it so yeah i was you know, not a great. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine your karma, if you, if you had a little sort of, yeah. you know. My karma like, meter is like <laughs> negative over here. Okay, so so I'm assuming what you went on to then is some sort of sort of Mother Teresa role to, to, to balance that or like what, what, what came next? So what came next, and this was a while back, but I'm trying to remember. So what came next, I'm pretty sure was affiliate marketing. Um, 
which kind of felt like it, it was a natural progression because I had learned copywriting, I had learned driving traffic, uh, all the basics, I guess. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really have a product. I don't want to sell private label crap. So maybe I just do, I, I was really good at driving traffic. I learned how to copyright and like get people to where they, I mean, I learned to be the master of clickbait, which is what copywriting kind of is really at its core, you know? So it's like, how can you get people to be curious enough to click and sell them on emotion and, and urgency and stuff like that? So affiliate marketing was a very logical next step for me because I was like, I'm just going to drive traffic to offers that I know are good, that other people have said are good, that are converting, right? So I joined um, Stack That Money Forum, right? Which those of you out there, if you're not on that and you're in affiliate marketing, it's like the best thing in the world. It was super in-depth case studies on like all this stuff. And I learned so much. It was paid, I think, at the time. It probably still is. Um, and I just, I, I would basically, I already was doing affiliate marketing because all the clicks that I wasn't selling, I was via software automatically spilling them over and like leftover clicking, sending them to affiliate offers. Mm. So all my leftover traffic would go to affiliate offers and I was already making money like a couple hundred bucks a week or whatever from just my leftover traffic um, from clicks that no one had bought. So it was very logical for me and that's the next place I went. <laughs> so what, where did that um, journey uh, take you? So it was actually kind of a dark beginning because stack that money has a lot of info. And at the time, I don't remember what year this was. It's probably like, I don't know, 2015 or something. At the time, no, 2014. At the time, a lot of people were doing ads and driving really heavy affiliate traffic to like Match.com, Plenty of Fish, uh, all these like dating sites, Adult Friend Finder, like all these kind of sketchy dating sites. And so where do you run ads for these things? You run ads for these things on adult sites, like, you know, I mean, porn sites, basically. Like, so it, it was a dark place. And it was, it was a crazy amount of information on, like, yeah, how to craft these ads. And I had to learn how to do graphic design. And I mean, like, explicit graphic design, you know, to get people to click to, like, this is what you want, right? Go sign up for a match.com so I can make my $40 commission or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it was a dark place that I started at. And I don't even know why I started there other than there was so much info and it seemed very successful. Mm. So purely money driven. So it was like I was back on the bad karma train. <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, that's where that led me. And then from there, I started going into the more legitimate offers, like back to the make money online niche. But at least it was stuff that was legitimate. Like these were guys that were delivering results. People were learning from these programs, whatever. Right. So that's the stuff I started promoting. Um, and, yeah, I did that for a little bit. And then I stopped that, too. <laughs> And so we um, we were we were chatting off air, and um, you said that um, not so long ago, and and you uh, just then you said like, oh, it's about twenty fourteen. And in my head, by the way, that doesn't sound that long ago. That's six years, six years yeah. ago, right? That is that is a third of an adult right there. And I mean, you know, UK <laughs> yeah. adult eighteen, right? Like that's crazy. So that that's just a little sort of blowing my mind. Being early into the into um, you know this new decade right now. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a side note, but you, you, so you, so you mentioned, right. Um, not so long ago, not quite as long as that ago, um, you started dabbling in, in e-commerce and was that, um, was that the sort of direction, the natural sort of flowing direction? You've got the copywriting down, you know how to sell other people's things. Um, you know, went into affiliate marketing and different methods to sell other people's things. Now it's like, oh, actually we could 
you know, go into e-commerce and potentially drop shipping e-commerce, um, selling other people's things or, or, or something yourself. Is that, is that kind of where you started dabbling next? Yeah, yeah. So after affiliate marketing, um, I basically, if, if I'm remembering correctly, the very next thing I did was find a guy who could teach me e-commerce. I don't remember the exact progression of how I got there, obviously, sure. but yeah. um, I, I found a guy, I paid him. I mean, I've always been super huge on like, get the shortcuts from mentors, pay them, it's worth it. You know, it'll save you lots of years of grief. That's why I was able to like fail fast and get through all these things, right? And um, so I paid him, I don't remember how much, learned the very basics of Amazon affiliates, which is not super profitable if you're familiar or if any of y'all out there are familiar, but it's a good place to start because it was taking the skills I already had and making them even more legitimate by selling stuff from Amazon, which is hmm. the most legitimate thing like on earth, basically, right? Um, so that was the first thing. And then I paid him a little bit more and he taught me how to do retail arbitrage. Um, so that was the next place I started. So let's let's go back um, for a second. So um, actually, other guests on the show, um, notably notable guests that have said um, just pay to be in the room was his expression was Roland Fraser, and um, you know his most recent mentor that he paid to be in the the room with was Richard Branson, um, and he, he devised a way to be in a room with Richard Branson so that he could have a conversation with him, and that conversation was funded by the other thing. In that case, it was like a TNC traffic conversion event, right? And so he he got in the room and he'd actually covered the cost of it as well, which was, you know, genius. And, and he's done yeah. that all through his life to, to go up. And so um, so it's not um, it's not a foreign concept. I would say it's a proven concept. So in, in your case, how do you go about um, identifying uh, the mentors and seeking out the mentors that you want to work with? Um, yeah, so that you can pay them for their thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for... Uh... I mean, I've always been a very like analytical person. I mean, I was doing computers from an early age, you know what I mean? So I learned, re I learned how to use Google amazingly, first of all. It was like one of my biggest skills, right? How do I find what I'm looking for? Mm. And so I would say that's the number one thing. I mean, do like a lot, a lot of research. That's what I do. I would look, you know, who's teaching Amazon, right? Who are the good guys? Like, if this guy's better than that guy, why? Who said so? Where are the reviews? Like, talk to people. I mean, really just get in there and... And I would just look, I would just look around for a long time, um, longer than most. Yes, I would impulse buy occasionally, right? But not really. It was like an impulse buy once I already knew what I needed to do, like who I needed to go to. And then I would talk to them and I would, yeah, let's do it, you know? So um, would you reach out to them directly or would you typically go through one of their sort of, you know, 30 grand a year uh, paid mastermind type groups or would you be reaching out to them directly? No, so they all had those, and I ended up participating in that kind of stuff in the mansion masterminds and all kinds of stuff after I would be working with them or kind of like simultaneously, like, yeah, I want to pay you, but also I'm going to go to your event and whatever, right? And so at the event, I would meet another mentor and pay them and do their events, and it was just kind of like a progression of I just had to get in the front door, and then I started to be able to network with all these people that I thought I could learn from. And they're like pre-vetted people. I mean, they're speaking at these masterminds. You know what I mean? It's mm. it's more it's just more vetted. And so after I did it the first time, it was a lot easier for me to to know who to go with next because it was like, well, I met you here. I saw your results firsthand. Like so many people speak highly of you. I'll happily pay you five k or whatever and and learn from you, right? Uh, nice. and, and so that takes us to the next point, which was that's where I got my next mentor at one of these mansion masterminds. Um, and it was a Shopify mentor. What's his so name? That was like who's, who's uh, 
His name is Horacio. 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 Yeah. Sounds exotic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think he's from. I think he's. I don't know if he's from Mexico, maybe or South America. I don't remember. Um, he's a good friend of mine now. I mean, we we got really close. We did stuff together, or whatever. But uh, he wasn't a a very public guy. It, it, in fact, he he isn't right. Mm-hmm. But he like firsthand, I saw like the numbers he was doing. He was very successful. The way he thought, he was young like me. I was like, man, this is someone I can learn from. So when he mentioned, like, yeah, I'll teach you for, you know, 5K or whatever, I was like, yeah, let's 100%, let's do it, you know? Hmm. Small price to pay to learn even a little bit of what you're doing, right? And I mean, I think the month that I paid him 5K, I did my first, like, $30,000 profit online just like that. Coming from Amazon Affiliates, which is almost nothing, Amazon Retail Arbitrage, which was 3K a month or whatever, you know? And then to like all of a sudden be making, you know, 10 plus net, yeah. right, was amazing. And it was just, it just goes to show, right, the whole mentor thing. So, mm. yeah. And that was just like in a very small period of time. So it was amazing. Do you remember what you were selling? Um, the very first thing I started selling, and I didn't give a crap about trademarks or anything like that at the time when I started, right? Uh, the very first thing I sold was a Harry Potter heat I don't know what they're called, heat-enabled mug, which is like you pour water, it's black, you pour water into it, or heat, anything, and it shows up with the thing. So mm-hmm. if you're familiar with Harry Potter, like it had the Marauder's map, which was right like a secret map that you can only get if you're the right person or whatever, I don't remember. Uh, so it was cool, it sold really well because it was just like a novelty. I mean, it would appear magically, like mm. in the movies. Oh, um, I get it, yeah. Yeah, I was, was nodding, awesome. but on the audio, just for people, I was confirming I am absolutely a Harry Potter nerd. More the books than yeah. the, the movies, but yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, just to really confirm and put it out there, credibility, yeah. boom. It was, it was yeah. awesome, and I sold. And I mean, even when like product died off, it was still profitable for months. I mean, I must have sold that product for like a year straight. And I don't remember how much of it I was selling, but I sold thousands of those mugs i don't remember how many but thousands and i was selling this mug at like i don't know 30 dollars i think a mug and it cost me you know a few bucks or whatever on aliexpress Mm. and i had made very little effort to get my cost down or anything i was like i didn't know that much i had learned just what he taught me and i just got off the ground quickly and did it you know Mm. Um, and then after that i expanded to more harry potter products more mugs i was selling uh, my entire store was just mugs of harry potter uh, and that worked really well for a little bit. And then probably the biggest success I had on Shopify in those days was I started selling music boxes. Hmm. Um, for those of you who haven't seen them or aren't familiar, they're like these little handmade wooden, literally music boxes with little handles on the side that play the theme song or whatever song. So that was a huge seller. That product took me to my first 5,000 plus days. So that's when I did my first six figures in a month uh, on Shopify, which was like, inc- I mean, you have to think a year before, a year and a half before then I was selling solo ads, or, you know, and now I do like, I was doing six figure months. It was just the craziest thing. And it was a very fast exponential progression that I didn't expect. Right. And because I didn't expect it, I wasn't ready for it. My systems weren't in place. My customer service wasn't in place. Everything went to shit mm. so fast. I mean, just as fast as it had gone to the moon, just as I think the turning point was one of my competitors reported my video because 
me or one of my VAs didn't cover one of their watermarks when we totally stole the video from them. Right. And they literally reported it, rightfully so. And when I went the next day to restart Facebook ads on my other business manager, my other ad manager account or whatever, nothing worked ever again. Like I was never able to sell that product at scale again. Um, so it literally died. The mugs were slowing down. It was like horrible. It was overnight. It was like, and that was when I learned like, okay, one does not simply make a shit ton of money this easy without having real one experience, two mistakes having been made. Right. And like number three, systems in place to handle the volume that you aspire to hit right and that all happened so fast and i learned all those lessons like very aggressively so yeah i i, I can imagine and definitely you're not alone with with stories like that um particularly in the, in the early drop drop shipping days when you know people could do that right and and um i think i think the customer base is savvier now i think a lot of people have kind of had their as consumers have had their hands burnt and and so on and so it's definitely uh and facebook's tightened up and a lot of you know a lot of a lot of uh services have tightened up and it's certainly it's a different game now and it's um it's quite a fun game actually because it's it's shaken out a lot of um a lot of people and um yeah. you know but uh but Obviously, you've you've now, as you said, transitioned very very quickly from um, from solo ads to you know 100k months, uh, sorry, six figure months, um, and and but now you've sort of lost the uh, potentially lost the ability or, or, or had your hand slapped um, from the advertising <laughs> point of view, and so it, so where's your head at? Are you thinking like what should I do next? Like what like like what what took you to um, using uh to traffic hacking i was trying to i didn't want to reveal anything so traffic hacking to traffic hacking sorry not traffic travel hacking sorry what oh was i was like <laughs> traffic <hacking>? um <laughs> yeah so that that's a quick progression but basically after that point i went ahead and basically gave away every dime of profit that i had made <clears throat> continuing to chase and try to make this work but it was the turning point where like that kind of dropshipping was getting harder and harder to do. And I was trying to do the same thing instead of paying attention to my peers that were doing, you know, million dollar months and like try to figure out, you know, they're treating it like a real business. Their customer service is on point. Their systems are there. They have employees like it's a real process. They're treating it like it's real life. And I'm over here trying to play, play a game and make cash quickly, which I've been doing for the past two years in solo ads maybe I shouldn't do that anymore, right? Uh, either I treat it like a real business or I get out. And I didn't love it enough to treat it like a real business. I just didn't. Uh, a lot of people do, right? I mean, I have friends that are still in it. That's what they do. I, you know, with the IT background, I was like, I was kind of in the middle of all this building an IT consulting company with just my me as the only employee, obviously, right? And starting to like, get an idea for what it actually was to bring value to people, to have clients, to do stuff like this. And I was like, man, I don't think I want to do the dropshipping thing full time. I don't think I can give it my all truly. Right. And so I left it. Uh, I just completely left e-com just completely. Uh, after I had given away every dime trying to make that old method work, I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm negative now 10 K, which is incredible considering I did like almost seven figures, but of revenue. Yeah. And so I was just like, you know what? Fine, whatever. And I failed fast, and I'm going to move on again. 
except I made a vow like this time I'm going to do business that one is good karma, two brings value to people, and three that I can deal with the ups and downs and not give up on it, right? Which I think was the hardest part and probably is the hardest part for a lot of people. So from there, I continued. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was working a job also while I was doing all this, by the way, in IT still. And after that, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to get the highest paying job I can that I can do the least possible so I have the most time to build a business I actually care about while leveraging my IT skills to make a shit ton of money anyway. Um, so that's what I did. I wasn't going to just give up on free money, right? So I said, you know what? I'm going to go. I got some six-figure IT job doing what I was doing. At this point, I had already been doing it for, since I was 16, I was doing IT. So I'm, I was 24 at this point. So eight years of experience, it was easy for me to get a six-figure job in IT. I did that. I had to do almost nothing. That's the kind of job I got. And all the time I would spend working on just like my sales skills, I spent a lot of time in a learning phase uh, after the dropshipping thing. So I was just reading and like learning and, and paying for sales training and sales courses. And I started to realize how important it was to be able to sell not just online behind ads, but to really understand sales like in humans and stuff like that. So I could translate that to whatever I wanted to do, right? Um, I had a very like sales focused period in that time. And so after that, my IT grows, I start doing real money with the IT and, you, you know, maybe doing like 20 or 30 K net again, reliably every month. And like with real value to people, it's really not taking that much of my time. Now this is real. Like, okay, I feel like I'm at a point now where this is real business. I'm understanding what it takes to do these numbers reliably. Um, and in this time period, all these businesses that I'm doing are funded by credit cards. I'm slowly learning the travel hacking game throughout this whole period. That's mm. how I was funding Facebook ads, the Amazon inventory, or, or fronting money for dropshipping of Amazon because they pay every two weeks, right? Uh, all this time, I'm like slowly learning what cards and whatever. And I'm just an analytical person, so I'm always Googling like the next card and why and how does this work and why do the airlines work like that and which are the cool first classes, always getting distracted with random shit. And by accident, I basically had mastered travel hacking in these like six years since I had been 18. Uh, and I said, you know what, like so many people are asking me how I, my family especially and friends, like what do you mean you did first class? What do you mean that like how, what credit cards? How do you have 150K in credit limits? I had it up until this point, right? Or something like that. And I started realizing, okay, maybe this is something I can teach people. And this is where a couple years ago, the first iteration of my travel hacking business began. Um, and so I can tell you more about it. <laughs> yeah, and we are going we are going in strong into this. And so um for people that are wondering, what um, you know, if someone said, okay, so you do travel hacking, you know, what does that mean? Uh, what do you tell them? So I think the main thing is I fly, I travel as in fly or stay in hotels for free or close to free, period, right? Like mm. travel for free. That's travel hacking. Um, some people might say like, oh, well, it's how to pack a bag efficiently. Like, I guess <laughs> that's more of yeah. like a life hack. But when I think about travel hacking, I think about I travel for free, be it economy, business or first, right? 
Okay, and so um, and so you've been funding. Um, so you dangled the T's. You've been funding all your businesses with with credit cards over this time. Now now we've learned that travel hacking is traveling for free in 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 airplanes and hotels. Um, how, what does that look like? How is that brought together? Um, so you mean like how do I turn it into my first iteration of the business, or how? What do you mean? Well, I mean, I mean, so, so, um, from the listener's point of view, they've, they've heard that you're putting, um, you're racking up, um, what they, I guess everyone would assume is credit card debt and, um, and, and turning it into free, free travel. So, so how does that work? Yeah. So at its core, like the main way that someone who is not a very avid flyer, like for work or for corporation or whatever, right. Someone who is just a, a normal person that probably has a job or whatever. Um, the way that you go about travel hacking, if you're that person, which is almost everybody, is to get the right credit cards, and there's a bunch in different countries, right? And earn the right kinds of miles. And so basically the way it works is you have a credit card. Every time you spend a dollar, you get a point, right? They'll call it a point or a mile or whatever. These points then go on to be redeemed for whatever you want. And there are two places that you get the most value. And number one is the right cards that earn the right miles because they all earn different kinds. And it's like this crazy complex world if you don't know what you're doing. And then the second place you get the most value is, okay, well, how do I use these points? So those are the two core things when, when you're starting, right, is which cards to, and which miles and how do I even use these things? Everyone's telling me to use them like this and like that, but does anyone actually know? And like, how are those guys getting first class seats? And and so that's obviously like a very high level, but that's the beginning of it. Okay, so let's um, so let's drill into that a little bit without um, without stepping too much on on your products. But I I, I sense that um, the more the more information you get give, the more people are going to want to seek you out anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. So someone's someone's getting started, and um, they are from Europe. Let's say right, let's 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 push let's challenge you a little bit. Right, so they're from Europe, and 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 they're spending a lot online. What would you advise? And and they're doing it right now, straight from their PayPal account or their or their bank yeah. account when they're spending. What would you advise um, they do, and where would, should they look first? So. The core things are the same. The only things that change across the countries are like the credit system. Are you <laughs> eligible for a credit card, period, right? And which, and are you eligible for a good card or a bad card? In the US, it's one way. In certain countries in Europe, they don't even have credit, you know, from what I understand. So it's like, that's the only thing that changes. But other than that, the core fundamentals are the same. The first step, if you're someone who's coming from a place of spending on debit or cash or wire or PayPal, is to find credit cards that earn transferable currencies. That's the best place to start. And by that I mean points that you can use transferring to tons of different transfer partners. Like a good example that's in almost every country in the world is American Express. Um, And I don't mean American Express like specific cards because they have, in the US they have like Hilton, Marriott, in other places they have the airline of that country, right, whatever. I mean, the normal American Express Platinum or Gold, a card that earns membership rewards points is an example of a transferable currency. You can take membership rewards points, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world, and you can transfer them to like 21 different airlines or whatever, airline programs. Um, and if you know what you're doing, 
you can use those programs to trans to fly basically any airline in the world. So not only those 20 some airlines, which is the biggest thing that people miss. Um, so I would say that step number one is like, if you're eligible for a card, find a car that earns transferable miles and get it. And, and that's step one, period. And so, so rack up the money, pay off, pay off the credit card before you've incurred any interest. Um, so at the end of the month, enjoy that free cash flow. Um, keep requesting higher credit limits if you need it. Um, and you're beginning to amass points. Do you have any advice for how to um, uh, hurry Amex up in terms of the increasing of the of the credit limits? Because I know, I mean, I know yeah. a lot of people out there are spending a lot of money. You don't want to be hitting that limit and having your ads shut off and so on. Yeah, so if, if we're talking specifically like on the ad agency slash e-commerce side where there's a ton of volume, right? Yeah. It's a little bit different than most people, right? Because it's like we want the biggest limits possible as fast as possible, which most people don't care about, right? But in that mm. world, super important to get the limits up fast. Mm. Um, otherwise, you're losing out on miles, like, you know, period. So the car, any of the American Express cards that are charge cards, and we can talk about what that is in case people don't know, but like the platinum and the gold, right? So a charge card is a card that has no real spending limit. It's like unlimited, people will say, but it's not. They have an internal limit that they'll tell you if you ask nicely. Um, those cards are different than credit cards. Charge cards need to be paid in full at the end of the billing cycle. Not at the end of the month, but just at the end of your billing cycle, right? It's not like a credit card where you're like, yeah, I might leave a balance this month. I might not. I might pay it, whatever. I can solve cash flow issues in an emergency by using it. Not exactly. So, Having said all that, normal credit cards are a little bit harder to get big limits on. It takes a long time compared to charge cards. Charge cards, like American Express, that you're talking about, if you know what you're doing, and I'll tell you guys how to do it in a second, if you know what you're doing, you can get those limits up really, really, those ghost internal limits, you can get them up really, really fast so that your card can handle the volume you're throwing at it. And so... If you're getting an American Express charge card, which if you're in other countries, that's probably your best bet to start, like a platinum or a gold, whatever, you, most likely the best way you should start is to spend and pay as, one, as fast as possible, and two, as much as possible over and over and over and over in the same month. <clears throat> so don't wait until the end of the billing cycle. So let's just say you get a new card, they issue it with a ghost limit of 8K, which you found out because... You know, you Facebook billed you 5K and then the second one didn't work and it had to go to your backup card, right? So what do you do? You instead have Facebook batch you in like a thousand or two thousand or whatever, lower amounts and more frequent payments to American Express. So a thousand every day and you pay it and again and you pay it and again and again and again. And very quickly, month two, you'll see that ghost limit is much higher. Month three, again. For again, higher and higher. I mean, I know guys that have like million plus on their platinums, on their black cards, more, right? And all they want is, it basically, if you treat it like a debit card, where the money comes out almost immediately because you pay it, then they're going to be extremely happy with you. And even better than that, a lot of people don't know this, but if you call American Express, um, even online, I don't remember if you can do it online, but if you call American Express, you can prepay your card. So you can actually fund the entire amount that you plan to spend for the next two days to be safe with your ads or whatever. You don't want them to be shut down, right? You can prepay them and they'll apply credit on your account and then you can use the card. 
So you're literally the best customer in the world if you do that and your limits will go up really, really fast. That's probably the best advice I can give. If you're using cash anyway, just give it to them in advance over and over and over. And I mean, months three and four, you'll see that your limit was probably like at least 5x what it was when you started. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well th- thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, and um, prepaying. I've actually done that accidentally sometimes where I've miscalculated yeah. how much I needed to pay off and I've got to pay more. And I'm like, fuck, I've got credit on my credit card. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, you're like, Ugh! so they, but, uh, but yeah, to- um, totally get what. Yeah, it's, um, it's like against what you would think <laughs> because it's not how you would use a normal credit card. And in fact, most normal credit card, like banks, like basically anything that's not a charge card, they won't really let you do that. Um, yeah. In my experience, like they're like, uh, no, you you can only pay what you like. <laughs> stop, you, what, stop what do you give me money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but in the American Express world, it's super common, and like you can just at a certain point they'll give you their bank account info, and you can just wire it in without having to talk to anybody, um, and it just auto applies to your account, and it's 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 kind of amazing how it works. But at the end of the day, we're not really interested in using those cards for like for carrying a balance. We're using them to reward ourselves with miles. And to maybe have 40 days to pay something off, worst mm. case, mm. with free, because it's, it'll be interest-free if you do it right, which is another conversation we could have, right? But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's my advice. <laughs> I like it. And, so, and so, um, so people are getting into the world of this, and, I, and it is very important to choose the credit card, right? And I, I've got a story here, which, which I'll share. Um, so <clears throat> I started off with Virgin. So um, I, love, I, I love Virgin Atlantic, Richard Branson, all that good stuff. And, um, and I was doing a lot of flying to the US from the UK, and so I looked at the various airlines, and it was basically between Virgin and BA. And I did, I, for whatever reason, I'm sure there's a lot of Brits there. Right? I don't like... I don't like BA, right? I don't, I don't like it. I'm a Brit, and I, I even find it too British or too old school British. But anyway, I'm not going to get too much into that because I will fly on a plane eventually. I don't want to like burn that option, right? But Virgin, super, super cool. Um, you know, I love that the, there's bars in, in the plane in first class, and I love the conversations that you have around that bar whilst you've sat with other people in first class that have time on their hands, right? You have great co- conversations like ours right now. And so I, I amassed more miles than I could spend on that card, and I was like, right. I Actually, if I fly east, I don't know what to do. And this was obviously before the whole points understanding. And so I got an Emirates card. Basically, um, you know, you went on YouTube, looked up Emirates first class and saw this like a gold lined cabin yeah, with showers and, and <laughs> stuff. And I was like, boom. And, and I just I funded my ads for, I don't know, three months or something and put a million air miles on this Emirates um, card and then realized that actually I don't fly east all that that often I think my son was born or, or something like that I wasn't traveling so much and then realized that those air miles actually have an expiry date and I ended up sitting well, I was sitting on a million air miles I hadn't used any of them and I ended up um, selling them to a broker who um, you know who put me on to points being better than miles in my situation because you can transfer them and they don't expire but that's my story of warning I guess to about picking which which um, credit card you you go with and so it, it certainly opened my eyes that you know using amex and using points you don't get as many points per pound spent but you can transfer those points out um to what i thought was just 21 airlines like you said how do you then extend it to additional airlines so that's probably like where most of the gold is right like learning how to redeem them for value i have people all day all the time i tell them like yeah you should be looking at least three cents of value per point Right, and if you um, if you book it through American Express, like normally as most people would, you'll probably get one to one and a half cents a point of value. So bare minimum, I'm already re- recommending you get double that. Most mm. people are like, "What?" 
And really, I've gotten 10, 15, 20 cents a mile on some first class tickets. I mean, this is like 10x what normal people would tell you you can get, what, the, what Amex will tell you you can get, what Chase will, whoever, right? Um, and so I accidentally, based on all my research in this entire time frame, just got really good at identifying alliances and partnerships. And so that's how you extend those 21 partners to any airline. So I'll give you like one example. Um, most of the American Express membership rewards can transfer to uh, Singapore Airlines. It's a very common one. So is British Airways, right? So let's just say Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines, you can use their program and their miles to book any Star Alliance flight in the world, basically. And Star Alliance is composed of like, I don't know, I don't know how many airlines, but a ton of very solid Lufthansa, Singapore, uh, ANA, which is Japanese, Air China, United in the States. Um, a lot of the like higher end, I guess, airlines of the world are in Star Alliance. Uh, and so that's one example, right? If you transfer your points over to Singapore, you can book any flight that Singapore is partnered with, which is the core. Of course, it's not so easy to know like which program and when and which partner and where do they fly and which is the right one. And that's where it starts to get like it becomes hard to navigate. But the general idea is you can use any of the partners to book anyone that they're partnered with. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who the transfer <coughs> partners are. You can book anybody, basically. <laughs> Makes sense. And, and, and are those transfer partners, um, do those exist in the hotel world as well? Uh, not really. So the majority of the value to be had from points, especially transferable ones, is mostly airlines. Um, hotels almost always can be had pretty cheap on cash. And I'm a big proponent of don't waste your miles if the value is not there. Uh, like, it, you know, why would I waste 30,000 miles to book a room that might cost me 150 bucks? Mm -hmm. Unless my miles were stuck in the hotel, hotel chain, like your miles were stuck in Emirates, right? Like if I have miles stuck in Marriott or in Hilton, well, I can't really do that much with them. So I'll use them for that random room or whatever, right? Or maybe I'll wait for some trip and I'll use them then, whatever. Like there are different situations, but in general, the hotel game is much less lucrative than the flight game. The exception to that would maybe be Hyatt. Hyatt is probably the only program that is as can be as lucrative as the flight world. Um, so I'm a Hyatt globalist at like the top tier Hyatt because my loyalty has just gone up and they just treated me better and better with every level and like the properties were nice everywhere and I just, I, you know, that I don't know. But so anyway, the flights are where most of the value is. And so that top tier, is that just staying with Hyatt a lot of times and kind of booking it through the same membership the hub or something in the same each So uh, a core thing across flights and hotels are that and everyone should remember this. So flights, you can book with anybody, third third party, whoever, any portal, Expedia, Travelocity, whatever, I don't know, all these different ones, right? And they'll honor everything. They'll give you credit for the flight. They'll put you up to the next tier of status, whatever. Like They'll honor everything that their program has to offer no matter where you booked. Hotels are the exact opposite. If you don't book directly with the hotel, you're basically dead to them. Like they won't give you credit for this day. If you know, if you needed 25 nights to hit the next level of status or whatever, like they won't give you the night if you book through Expedia or whoever. So very different philosophies. They really want you to book direct and they'll reward you for it. So 
I just wanted to say that first before we get into anything is like if you want to get status with hotels, you have to book through the hotel. Period, right? Mm-hmm. And the way I got top tier Hyatt, I, I have there are ways to get status in hotels and airlines. Hotels are easier because a lot of credit cards give you status. Like in the US, American Express gives you Hilton Gold. Then you can take Hilton Gold and use a status match, which means you can they'll give you an equal status at another property. So if you take Hilton Gold, you can maybe get Marriott, whatever. You can get Wyndham, Diamond. Then you can match to the Caesars if you gamble. And like, there's you can literally match all over the place with these fake statuses that you didn't even really have to begin with, um, which is amazing. But to get to top tier, that's not usually possible. So uh, I did it the hard way. I mean, I stayed 60 nights in 2019 in Hyatt's, um, but I actually leveraged one of their partnerships to do it because I wanted to do it on the cheap, and it it made sense for me. So. Hyatt partners with MGM, which has casinos all over the world. Um, And I mean, I'm in Vegas, right? So I wanted to move in Vegas in 2019. So I actually stayed three months on and off, like, I don't know, 45 of those 60 days were in hotels in Vegas. And because they're partnered, I was able to use these cheap Vegas nights that sometimes were free because I play here and now, every now and then I'll play blackjack or whatever. They'd give me the free three or four nights over and over and over. And those free nights here were counting because Hyatt doesn't really know that they were free nights. So mm-hmm. I was able to leverage that partnership to get very, very cheap top tier status with Hyatt. And I was coming to Vegas anyway, and I wanted to move here, you know? So that was kind of like a little hack that you can use. Some of the other hotel chains aren't as easy, but with Hyatt was. Um, and I was able to get top tier status that way. So that's absolute goal. And so just um, just real quick, so for people that are saying, okay, so what does top tier status mean other than um you know ego I, I assume they give you a crown with a hi-hat written on it like what i, I what, think i got a cool card or something i don't remember <laughs> so you walk into a hi-hat well how is it different when you walk into a hi-hat with your top tier status to to me walking in so i'll give you an example i was going to um when i was in abu dhabi i don't know two months ago or something like that i went and i stayed at the park hyatt in abu dhabi um and the experience is the same basically anywhere even at the low tier Hyatt's like Hyatt house, Hyatt place. They're just normal random little Hyatt's, right? And Park Hyatt being their highest tier hotel. So I went to a Park Hyatt in Abu Dhabi a week before, I mean, the, the manager of the hotel reaches out to me via email, uh, and, and says, you know, Hey, I know you're coming. Is there anything we can do to make your, like, I mean, a very personal, just informal email, like what can we do for you? Right. And I was like, Oh, no big deal. Blah, 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 whatever can you arrange a car from Dubai to Abu Dhabi? Sure, whatever, it's this price. I mean, in general, the experience was much easier, which is the same, like you were talking about with the with Virgin when we were off air, I think, mm. right? How like the first class experience is like, you get there, next, passport, metal detector, massage, lounge. You know? Five minutes out of the car, you're in the I lounge, mean, yeah. Luxury is like, how easy is it for me to have this stress-free experience, right? And so mm. from the very beginning, being a Hyatt globalist at any Hyatt, it's literally that easy and amazing. And that's where it starts, right? As soon as you get there, you're basically guaranteed the nicest room on the property as a globalist if they have it available, uh, except for the presidential suite. Anything below that, basically, like, it's yours. Guaranteed. Um, I have a personal concierge I can reach out to and a personal concierge team to just make things happen. I mean, if I reach out to Hyatt even on Messenger or Twitter or whatever, like Facebook Messenger, they know I'm a globalist and they'll make all kinds of things happen. Like I. I can tell them an hour before, like, hey, can you change this? And actually, I'm going to be here and there and whatever. No cancellation fees. They just, yep, it's handled. 
and just magically, you know, it's just nice. such a stress-free and easy experience. And I mean, having a suite guaranteed, no matter wherever I go is amazing. And, uh, and is, is that something that you typically would have to pay suite level or do, are you paying for like a normal hotel room and it's just upgraded to that suite level? So I'll get it no matter what I do. I can either book with cash. Um, so often what happens is if I'm booking with cash for some because it's cheap, I'll book a 120, 140 night room at a decent mid-level Hyatt and I'll get an $800 night room for free. Um, so cash ROI is incredible, just there. And if I book it with points, I get the same benefits. So it's even better because it was like I paid nothing and I got even more for nothing than I thought I was going to get. So at, at the end of the day, it's amazing no, no matter how you do it. But it makes sense both ways. Like it almost feels better with cash because I'm like, wow, I got five times the value, right? Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I love that. And you must have the, that maths going on um, in, in your mind. And so, and so for the listeners that want to learn more about this and, and make their, their spending go further through, um, through the travel hacking that um, uh, tricks, one of a better word. Hacks is the word, isn't it? The hacks that you've, yeah. you've, you've sort of collated. Um, how, do they, how do they learn more about uh, you and what you're doing? So I have a couple of pages that I usually have people come in like on Facebook ads and stuff like that. But I think the best way that for someone that wants to get off the ground and, and like is just reach out to me personally on my Facebook, right? And, and talk about it and I can give the link or whatever, however you want to do it. Um, and just we'll have a conversation. You know, I do it all day, every day. I mean, I love to talk about it with people and like, where are you at? What benefits you at maybe this direction, that direction, whatever. And we just talk, right? And so I work with some people and I don't work with others depending on what's going on. And that's, that's okay. But that's usually how I do it. So probably very personal like that would be fine. Cool. Um, let's hope you, you have the time for this uh, <laughs> one-on-one uh, conversation. So, so um, Andy Cantu, they're, they're looking f- for the guy who currently has a, is in his racing driver uniform, yeah. looking suave. Uh, yeah, that's that's the put, profile can we, picture. Can we put the link like on the thing or something? Yeah, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I right, think cool. it's important to do that. Um, yeah. I don't know my Facebook URL from a pro, pro personal one, so well, if you I, do, that's I impressive. I changed it because it, before before it was Andy Cantu one two three, and I was like, ah, so I made it <laughs> official Andy Cantu. So it's oh, easy. Nice. There we go. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get that in the show notes. So um, at this point in the in in the podcast, we change change um, pace a little bit. We mix it up and we go into the rapid fire question round. Um, I ask the questions quickly. You can take as long as you want, but you know we'll go off on tangents, I'm sure. But uh, but yeah, if you're ready for it, um, are you two thumbs up ready for the? Let's do it. The, let's do it. All right, boom. Okay. Question number one: Are there any unusual things you eat or drink regularly, and why? Um unusual i have coffee but i think everyone has coffee yeah i think coffee's quite widely drunk yeah (laughs) (laughs) but not necessarily bulletproof coffee which is what i'm chugging down in this ginormous nutrient ninja right now has butter in it i think Mm -hmm, right it's so creamy it's delicious unusual things that i eat or drink man no not really uh not really i like uh cookies and candy a lot so that's it <laughs> okay so that's cool um how do, also quite commonly eaten i imagine so that, that, <laughs> yeah. that's funny. so uh, question two how do you get yourself into a state of flow um i mean like i'll wake up in the morning i know what i need to do always reminding myself internally of like the goals and what i'm trying to accomplish i drink some coffee 
I, 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 for me, it was super important. I bought this amazing Nespresso, like top of the line latte maker that I have. I'm looking at it, and <laughs> I, I bought it on Facebook Marketplace for like a third of the cost. And lifesaver, man. I mean, being able to like get what I love in my coffee. So, I mean, I make myself a, like a white chocolate mocha every morning, iced or hot, whatever. It was super important for me. That you for me was fat. like. A, uh, sorry, game. you're like drinking a white chocolate mocha every morning. I'm sitting here going like, if I look at a bar of chocolate, I put on weight. And you're like, yeah, yeah, every morning. I have a... Sorry, I shouldn't interrupt you. I was just... Yeah, well, yeah. for me, like just all that doing what... I mean, before I even start my day, like I'm doing what I want to do and makes me happy and stuff like that. And I just get into the state and then it's like, boom, it's time to get to work, you know, do what we got to do. <laughs> like it. What habit or opinion do you have that people um, often disagree with? Um, probably on the business side of things, I'm very, uh, I'm very like, probably maybe too blunt for some people about some stuff, not in the travel hacking side, cause there's not a lot of like difference of opinion there. It is what it is. Right. But on the business side, I'm, I'm, I'm a very blunt person. Like I'll tell if a person wants advice and I'll tell them like, Hey man, this or that or whatever. And some people don't take to it that, that well, but I don't know. I've always learned that way, like kind of the hard way. And like, you have to suffer and you have to fail and like, you have to kind of figure it out as long as you go. And, and a lot of people don't agree with that. Um, but a lot of people that are very successful agree with it. <laughs> so it's like, but, um, that's probably, it is just, there are probably nicer ways to go about like being successful and not having to be so aggressive about it. But I've always learned really well that way. So yeah, like different. It. Do you, yeah. do you ever get any pushback when you're talking about racking up credit card debt? Oh, all like having to overcome that mental hurdle is probably the hardest thing about this on my end as a coach or whatever you want to call it, mentor, right? Um, it's like so many people are like, no, I'm cash only, thanks, you know, or like I, I don't, I I would never do that. I'm I, I'm cash flow positive, so I would never use a credit card. Like, there's no reason that's stupid. If you can't afford it, I mean, I could go on and on, right? But it's it's like not opening your mind to that is probably the biggest mistake you can make. I mean, you're giving away, you're 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 losing out on free money. Miles are money at the end of the day. They're a currency. I mean, why would you not take free money doing what you're already doing? So it's to me it's crazy because of course I'm super ingrained in it, right? But for someone brand new, it's like, um, hold on, you're opening 15 credit cards and and racking up all this debt, and you know what I mean? It's a mm. hard. Thing to understand when you're brand brand new so it's hard yeah it's a mental hurdle that a lot of people have to jump over because most of us have been taught and indoctrinated and in, you know the normal system of schools and stuff like that that credit is bad basically and you know don't use it if you don't have to all that kind of stuff and so yeah it's hard <laughs> do you do you often um, sort of combat that by um, giving them insight into how they can leverage credit cards without paying any interest? Yeah, 100%. That's usually the first place I go. It's like, well, a lot of people know about 0% interest credit cards, the ones that advertise this is 0% interest for the first 12 months or 15 months or whatever. And even on like some of the ads I run to, to show people some of the travel hacking stuff, so many people comment on their like scam. There's no way to get zero percent interest on cards unless they're specifically zero percent interest, whatever. And people just in general don't understand the cycle of the money. And everyone thinks that credit card companies make their money by evil ways, like you, you know, 
paying them interest. It's kind of like an evil way a lot of people look at it. But most credit card companies make the majority of their money on swipe fees. So, you know, you swipe a card at, at a grocery store, the grocery store has to pay 3% to the card company and the bank and everybody involved. So you paid nothing, but they paid. And so money was made when you swiped and it was free to you. And that's mm. the way the system actually works, right? So if you just pay your credit card before the due date all the time, then it's free money. It's literally 0% interest money to you and it's no different when you use it at the store or anywhere in the world. Um, so that's, the, that's one of the, that's probably the next biggest thing is like teaching people and getting them to wrap their head around credit cards are actually free money. And that's like a wild concept to people. Like, no, they're not. They have extremely high interest rates, 24% interest. And that's probably the next biggest thing is no, they don't. Even if you pay interest, that interest is per day and per month. So it's 24% divided by 12 months, 2% a month. That's it. So if you leave $1,000 on your card for a month, even if you miss the date and you leave it on there a whole month, 2% on 1000 is 20 bucks. So it costs you 20 bucks to have a free $1,000 for that month plus the previous month. So there's all these concepts that are not taught anywhere, right? really in detail, um, at least not easy to digest. And so, yeah, those are probably like some of the major hurdles I have to deal with. But I love teaching them to people because it like blows people's minds once they get it, you know? I can't think of a more perfect segue into the next question, which is if you ran a school but could only teach one non-traditional lesson, and you don't have to answer the obvious here, <laughs> but what would that lesson be? Um, I think understanding finances in general, credit, the right way to leverage it, the good parts about it, the bad, just in general, like financial education, I think would be a super, super important thing. And I've heard that said many times before by other people, right? So I'm not the first one to say it, but I think that's super important. I mean, I had an advantage growing up that a lot of people don't have was that my dad was a businessman. So I had a question about this. I mean, he had tax books all over his bookcase. He had all kinds of stuff that I was able to pick up, read and like get a lot of insight into finances very early on. So I was always the one amongst my friends that would tell them like, hey, well, this is how that works, this is how that works, whatever. But I think that's super important for, for kids especially to learn. It's like, I mean, I have little brothers and sisters that are seven, 10 years younger than me. And so I see them growing up and they have no idea about any of this stuff, even worse than before. Before, like, your parents would teach you to balance your checkbook or whatever, right? <laughs> Back in the day, I guess. But now it's like nobody teaches anything at all because apps do it and who knows what else. I sound like an old person, I guess, but <laughs> it's super important. Like you have to know the way the world works and the world revolves around all these systems and, and, and credit and banks and stuff like that. And if you don't understand them, you're just like left in the dark and you're at a disadvantage, right? So that's my long answer to that question. I liked your long answer. What book or books had the biggest impact on your life? That's an easy one. I read a bunch of books and a lot of people say like rich dad, poor dad, right? But for me, that wasn't the one that turned me around. The one that turned me around was a book called Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco. DeMarco, yeah. Yeah, such a good book for me. And it goes back to the thing I was saying about being like kind of an aggressive and blunt business person, right? It was, it was him talking to me in like that same tone, like don't listen to all that bullshit that's fake. It doesn't matter. Like this is the actionable stuff you need to do if you really want to be truly successful or whatever. Right. 
and I had never seen it presented to me that way before. Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a lot of conceptual stuff. Like in general, your mindset should be this and you should think about money this way and blah, blah, blah. But this book was like, nobody cares if you love your product, like the market has to love it and they don't care about you. And it was, I don't know, a very different style that really spoke to me. I think it's worth the read for basically everybody because it's a different angle that might help. I <laughs> uh, 100% so, agree with that. Yeah. Actually, you brought that up and I'm, I'm thinking that's a book that probably keeps giving no matter what stage you're at. And um, I remember, yeah. yeah, I remember distinctly his limo business, I think it was, wasn't it? It was lead yeah. generation for limos or something. Um, but yeah, it was genius. a phenomenal book. Absolutely genius. Yeah. What does the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like and what time do you typically wake up? Um, I probably, when I'm in Vegas, I have all my shades open. So I get the sunrise like flat. Um, what, I don't even know how to talk anymore. The sunrise <laughs> bouncing off the buildings and stuff. Uh, so I wake up like at eight, eight thirty, something like that, you know, Vegas time. Um, I'll have my coffee. I'll drink some water. Sometimes I'll shower before I work. Sometimes I'll just work and then shower like at noon when I get a lunch break. Um, it varies, but in general, I try to be up as early as I can stand and go through all my stuff. Every morning, I, I review all my data like for my different businesses. I, I open my spreadsheets. I like see what's happening in the world, in my world. Um, check my calendar the night before so I already know what I have to do in the morning. So my mornings are pretty relaxed. I get up normally like an hour and a half before anything actually happens. I can just take care of my stuff, relax, sometimes have a bowl of cereal or whatever. So pretty... <laughs> Pretty relaxed. Okay. I'm taking notes. So was the cereal after the the vodka? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you got any advice for your previous boss or bosses in general? Man, I probably would give them advice, but I don't think they would take it because once you're like in that system for that long, it's hard to get out. Um, but I don't know. Maybe to. I don't know. I always want people to see the light and like see different things in the world. So maybe to take risks and try something that is uncomfortable, even if it's outside of inside or outside of the corporate world, uh, because that's like super common. Most people that have gotten to like a management role in like mid level corporation kind of stuff. It's normally like these are my ways and that's it forever. And I'm not going to change anything or take advice or do anything right. So I think taking risks and just being open-minded about stuff would be super important for almost anybody. I like that. Where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? I travel, especially because it's free. Uh, I mean, I think about cool things that I want to do and then I know they're coming up and I find ways to arrange them and make them work. And like, even in the case of, you know, your friend who mentor paid for itself with, I don't remember what we were talking about, right? I try to do that same thing. Like, okay, well, I have, I really want to go to swim with killer whales in Norway, which is something I actually want to do since like last year. Uh, okay, so how can I make this work for me? Like, okay, well, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to film some cool videos. I'm going to find a way to incorporate them into my content and like see if I can get it to pay for itself. And regardless, I'm going to do it for free, basically because of miles. And so I just find ways to arrange these trips. And that in itself, gives me a huge level of of happiness and accomplishment that like hey again I have validated that this travel hacking stuff is amazing so it helps me help others because I can show them like look I literally just did this it it works really well and you should do it um 
I don't know, I always want to like convert people, like, please try it. It's amazing, you know? And so this stuff, it gives me emotional like fulfillment and happiness and all this stuff. And of course, I just, traveling is an incredible experience in itself. So hopefully Absolutely. I get to go swim with killer whales in a couple months or something. <laughs> nice. Let me know if you do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that you've got that extra layer as well on top of the, you've got there for free. Now you're going to make money from the trip by like documenting it or finding some way to, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, that's where the genius is. If I gave you $5,000, how would you double it in 24 hours? Well, I could gamble, obviously, in lots of ways, including in the market and Bitcoin and all kinds of stuff. But reliably, probably buy and sell a bunch of stuff, a bunch of cheap stuff from like Craigslist or, or I don't know what you have over there or like in Europe or anywhere. But any marketplace where you can find cheap shit over here or free, even that people just want to give away, like Literally last night, I saw a post on Facebook Marketplace that said, um, just don't need this anymore. It's out for bulk collection. And it was this like really nice three-level, 10-foot-long entertainment center, like modern, that goes under a TV mounted on the wall. Wow. Glass and, and like black. Super nice, free. I mean, I could sell that for like 200 bucks all day, probably, if I just gave it a week, you know? Mm. Uh, so I'd probably take that 5K and buy up as much crap as I possibly could and I bet you could double your money 24 hours. Nice. I can say. What's the best advice ever given to you? That's hard. Probably probably something from like Millionaire Fastlane. So not directly given to me, but I read it. Mm. Uh, which is let the market tell you what it, it wants. Like don't don't care so much about and I've had other mentors of mine like tell me in a different way like don't care so much about your feelings don't care so much about what you love or don't love or whatever like bring value to people help and let that guide what you do in general not just in business and and that was probably the biggest like mindset shift for me mindset shift for me because like we talked about initially with solo ads I didn't care about people or anything or value or helping it was just like I'm gonna do whatever for me only and I'm gonna make money and whatever super mindset shift to okay how can i help how can i bring value like what good can i bring to the world period and then good things will happen money will come i don't even you know that's like a secondary thing but what good can i do what do people need and want and that was probably the best advice given to me probably first in the book and then later by other mentors and just in general I like that what silly things should people do more of <laughs> man um i'm trying to think of like silly things that i do i do lots of silly shit what sort of silly shit it doesn't have to be the most silly just like give us some examples um <laughs> i like to make uh i like to make really funny faces in pictures like just weird faces I don't even think they're funny faces, and then I look at the pictures, and they're, they were a funny face. I don't know. It's stupid, but it's just like, whatever. Don't take yourself too seriously, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just to tease people that are only listening to the audio of the show into looking at the video, can you give us one of those funny faces? If I've got a camera right now. Like... I don't know. I do this I do this face that apparently looks like, uh, it looks like, like, you know that grumpy cat meme? Yeah. Yeah, like. 
<laughs> you know, I thought I looked like Grumpy Cat. I like that. I like it. Probably, probably best uh, best would be like a, a wedding or some sort of happy occasion, and you, you're at the back doing Grumpy Cat like that. <laughs> would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? One horse-sized duck. Why? It seems easier than dealing with like the mass volume of a hundred horse ducks. I like that. I like that. How, how would you convince someone to do something good they didn't want to do? I read once um, that for, and, and actually I think I read this in the corporate world. One of my bosses had given me this book to read. It was like mandatory reading if you wanted to work there. Like it was like, stupid, but it, I actually learned, right? It was if you want people to do anything, good or bad, you have to make them believe that it's the right thing to do. Like you have to make them believe in it. If they don't believe in it, they're not going to do it. And I think it was a book about leadership in, in general, like how to get your employees or people under you or people you work with or whatever to be more agreeable and like work with you. And it was you have to tell them why and so they can believe it in it themselves and they'll go on to do it without needing you to push them to do it, right? Um, and so I'd probably do that. I'd like spend some time just talking about, you know, why you should even do it to begin with and to the point where they believe that it's the right thing to do and they do it. Nice. And then final question. What makes you happiest? Um, I mean, I love racing. Racing is amazing and it makes me very happy. But in general, I... Freedom makes me happiest, and it always has. And I was pretty miserable when I was working in the corporate world all these years, and it was very difficult to get out of it because it was like I was so good at it, and I was making good money, and I was in general I had a happy, stable life. But I was never truly happy until I was able to have freedom to choose. Um, and racing is part of that. I before I couldn't do racing, I couldn't afford to even try it. I couldn't do any of that stuff, and like. Now, today, I can make the choice to do it, which makes me almost as happy as doing it itself, right? Mm -hmm. And I, for me, that was the biggest thing, and I always tell people that. It was like, for me, it was the freedom. It was putting myself in a position where I can choose what I want to do. Maybe I choose to still work every day, all day, like I do right now, right? But I, I can make that choice. I can tomorrow be in Norway swimming with killer whales if I want. And so that's like an incredible sense of peace and happiness that is priceless. I love that. Well, Andy, that that brings us pretty much to the end of um, end of the podcast, and you've been you've been great. At this point, I just wanted to ask: Have you got any asks or requests of the audience? Um, just keep your minds open, especially when it comes to stuff like you've never heard before that sounds crazy or too good to be true. Because yeah, sometimes it is too good to be true, but you never know unless you explore it. So, especially some of the more counterintuitive stuff, like all this about credit and all that stuff, that's kind of dangerous. Just open your mind to it and, and at least do the research before you discount it and, and let's talk. <laughs> let's talk. And we're Andy Cantu on, on Facebook and we'll, we'll get that link um, in the show notes. Yeah. Well, Andy, thanks, so, thanks ever so much for um, taking the time to share your, your story, um, your experience, um, some um, tantalizing um, advice, <laughs> just a tiny tip of the iceberg of, of the advice for uh, travel hacking and traveling the world for free. Um, and thank you just, you know, for being you, being so humble um, and so, so open um, with us today. 
yeah, no, I really, I, I mean, I love doing it. I appreciate so much you having me on, man. It was great. Hey, Martin here again with an audio goodie bag of a bonus before you head off. First up, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please subscribe and follow Smarter Destiny across iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. It really helps spread our message, and you'll get valuable content along the way too. Secondly, if you have an e-commerce business or are thinking of starting one, grab a copy of my new book, 1% Secret, recommended by Kevin Harrington and a host of other elite guys even better it's free just help out with the shipping costs so head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash book to grab your free copy thanks so much and i'll see you on the next episode